It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Just like that, the second hour is here. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Friday edition, Chad. Made it to the final day of the week. We're going to get all of our listeners and viewers to the weekend as quick as possible. We're getting there. We're getting there, Hutton. We're making it. Got Giants uh, great defensive lineman Leonard Marshall coming up uh, just around the corner. Uh, Also, Gun Show will be with us. Mike Gunzelman from Outkick.com. And uh, Quentin Aaron, who portrayed Michael Orr in the film The Black Blind Side. He will be with us uh, coming up in about 40 minutes. Looking forward to that chat. And the question that, Chad, you're going to ask him about how he was asked to portray Michael Orr in this film. Yeah, I'm going to ask him because Michael Orr has stated that he was portrayed as being dumb in the movie and then he fought that perception throughout his college and NFL career. I'm going to ask Quentin Aaron, is that how he was portraying him? How did he view the character? What went into the thought process of how he played him? And I'm asking him that because I didn't see that when I watched the movie. I, I didn't I didn't watch it and think, man, this kid is dumb. I thought, man, this kid hasn't had any breaks right. in life, and now he finally got a break, and it's really sad to see what he's gone through. I, I didn't look at it like, oh, he's not smart. So I thought that was a, an odd takeaway from the movie and the portrayal from Michael Orr. So we'll ask Quentin Aaron about that, who's been outspoken about those that have said Sandra Bullock should turn in her Oscar because of this latest controversy. Jed, Hugh Freeze is the former high school football coach of Michael Orr, and he offered his own take of the, of the lawsuit between Orr and, and the Tui family and had this to say. Listen, I love Michael Orr. He's part of our family. I love the Tuies. I think it's sad, and I certainly don't claim to understand all the ins and outs of adoption, conservatory, uh, all of that, but... I know what I witnessed, and I witnessed a family that totally took a young man in. And I think without that, there is no story. I sure hope it can. I know this. I know if Michael called Sean right now and said, let's work this out, Sean and Leanne, speaking of the Tuies, would be there in a hurry to hug his neck and tell him he's loved. I hope he feels that, and certainly I don't claim to, until you walk in people's shoes, I don't claim to have all the answers or anything. I think it will all, whatever happens will happen, of course. The facts will come out. But, you know, I love both sides of it. Sean and Leanne Tui did something that most families, a lot of us talk about doing things, but they actually put shoes on and pulled the boots up and got in the arena and did something. I think that's admirable. That from Hugh Freeze. Um, everyone's starting to weigh in on what was a, just a surprising revelation to begin the week uh, with the filing of the court documents in Shelby County uh, here in Tennessee with Orr and his attorney and what was said within that claim. And here we are at the end of the week, and everyone that knows the behind the scenes or thinks they know, offering different versions of aspects, including uh, you know, the author of The Blind Side, Michael Lewis. And here we are, Chad, even hearing from Hugh Freeze, now the head coach at Auburn, weighing in on, he's friends with the Tuies, coach Michael Orr, and would know both well. I thought it was very well said by Hugh Freeze, very smartly put to not really pick sides, but also just plainly state what he witnessed with that family and with how they handled Michael Lohr and the whole situation. 
similar to what Michael Lewis, the author of The Blind Side, said, but not, with not as much detail about Hollywood and the money part of it. But Michael Lewis said, I, I saw how much love they, and, and opportunity they gave Michael Lord during that time. Um, I, I, we haven't yet heard the counter from Michael Lohr. We've seen the claims from his attorney. We've seen some details of the lawsuit and what he's alleging about the conservatorship and all of that. But these stories always have a counter. And then there's a counter to the counter. Yeah. We haven't had the counter to the counter yet. Well, we've only, had The only thing that Orr has said was, I'll leave the, the filing to speak yeah. for itself. What we've had are those closest to the situation weigh in and essentially say, well, it looked to me like they really loved the kid and gave him a lot of things. I, I don't know what's going on now, but that was the impression that they got from the whole situation, which is exactly what was portrayed in the film and the book. Yeah. So, I, I'm... Again, does Michael Lohr have something else that's going to come out, or is there a part of the money claim that comes out that shows that they've been profiting from Michael Orr in some way that we don't know about that he's been claiming? Again, that, you're right. That's the next step up on, a, on the ladder, so to speak. Um, the story progresses with James Harden, and you know he was at the, uh, an Adidas rollout, a PR event in China, where he made the, the comments uh, that... that Maury, the, the general manager, former general manager of the Rockets, now president of the Philadelphia 76ers, calling him a liar because Harden opted in to the final year of a contract that was his option on a one-year $36.5 million contract for the upcoming season with the intent, he says, and it's been widely speculated, that the 76ers are going to move him, going to trade him. It's also uh, out there that he's very interested in joining the Clippers, uh, among other teams. Well, that's not happening anytime soon if Daryl Morey has anything to say about it because he wants to keep Harden in the mix. And they have had a long relationship where Morey has gone to bat for him, uh, has been the biggest supporter, waving the James Harden flag, so to speak, even whenever he departed Houston after what went down with his support of Hong Kong, Free Hong Kong, and the, the tweets that he sent out uh, that ended up, by the way, China pulled, they had a blackout of NBA games, pulled them off air in China uh, in 2019, and very quietly last year they were back on. That blackout was lifted. Well, now Harden is there. He's unveiling the, the new Adidas line or whatever he's doing on behalf of the shoe company that endorses him. And aside from that, he's talking about his love for China and wanting to play there and the love he receives every time he's there. I think this absolutely coincides with whatever the NBA is doing behind the scenes. And the players, by the way, including Harden, uh, came to the defense of China whenever Maury sent out these tweets back in 2019, 2020, I believe. And here is James Harden continuing to push that line of thinking instead of worrying about being a good teammate and playing the upcoming season in Philadelphia because he doesn't want to. Well, I mean, you know, you know what you know. And these NBA players that have a relationship with China, it's a business relationship. It's a business relationship with the NBA. They're profiting. They're making a ton of money off of China. And I'm sure when James Harden goes to China, as we've seen in these photos, he's getting all the love in the world. He's leading basketball clinics with a bunch of kids wearing a James Harden beard. He's got people coming up and talking about how great of a basketball player he is, and he's making a ton of money to do it. So it doesn't surprise me that his perception of China is not human rights violations. It's what he sees when he's in China, which is money and people loving up on him. So and I, 
it doesn't surprise me to hear NBA players say, man, I, I, get, I get nothing but love here. I, it's great. I could see myself playing here. Because they're not seeing the bad things that are going on. So, and they don't want to know it or see it. Just like the NBA doesn't want to know or see it. He's or talk also about there, it. and he's not just the shoes. He's got this Jay Harden brand. And he's got this wine. Have you heard about the wine that he sold there? No. So he joined a live stream. 15 million viewers tuned in. In this, uh, and this is all through the uh, uh, Chinese report, Global Times, I believe, is, is the name of it. Uh, how many bottles do you usually sell in a day from one store? This is uh, one of the hosts asking Harden this question. And he goes, a few cases. That was his response. Then the host said, watch how quickly, let, let's see how quickly we can sell them. And Harden says, show me. And he sits back and he says, ready, go. And 14 seconds later... 5,000 orders were placed at $60 for two bottles, and they raked in $300,000 oh within 14 seconds. Incredible. So he's, he's pushing the brand of himself there as well, and he's saying all these things while he's there as part of the PR push. And again, it's money. Like it's, all, it's all that it is. Like They're going to speak well of China, especially while they are there, because they're making a ton of money from China. Right. Now, the NBA has sort of learned their lesson in that it's kind of just a silence from them. They just allow things to happen and money to change hands and to make all the money without going out of their way to praise China. They just don't talk about yeah, it. They don't say denounce it. or say the anything. Players they aren't, punish more. The players aren't that way. You know, Kyrie Irving's going to make money off this Chinese brand he's associated with now. James Harden's going to go over there. He's going to make a ton of money. Hutton just had a great illustration of he's making money off wine he's saying these comments because and then, of it and then it's happening like this yeah yeah it's just i mean come on it, it's it's money uh, it, it's it's all it is they're not looking into human rights violations these these guys know what they know and they know how rich they're getting off of china so they're going to speak highly of china none of this surprises me chad dalvin cook is now with the new york jets of course and he said recently, hey, uh, one of the big reasons I end up signing with the Jets, it has to do with the quarterback. Being on the other side of that for the last six years, you know, I couldn't be on the other side no more. So it was just like being, a, I got the chance to go join them and, you know, you know help them win, win again. You know, that was, that was a big thing to come, come over here. He isn't, he isn't here. And uh, he also uh, continued with more love for the New York Jets, not just with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I think collectively, you know, when I came on my visit, I think I pretty much seen everything I needed to see. Uh, you know, it was good vibe with the coaches, the players, you know, everybody around the building. And, you know, obviously when you dig deep and look into the roster, I think all the pieces are put together. I think I can come help these guys. And you look at the running back room with MC, Brees, Bam, and all those guys with me just adding to it, I think it could be something special. It seemed like a college visit because, you know, they had yeah, so if he's, you know, he's taking the visit, he's got the, and you heard the report at the very end, it seemed like a college visit. It did because they were in training camp practice and he's out on the sideline watching with staff from the front office and his agent. But Chad, the one thing he left out is uh, the Jets offered the most. So Jets offered the most and um, I'll start with something else. It starts with OFF, offensive line. Um, that's, the, that's the big possible tripping point for the Jets this year is their offensive line. Episode two of Hard Knocks got into that. They got lit up by Robert Sala after a joint practice, and Aaron Rodgers was not pleased at all. 
with the offensive line during that time. And if there's going to be anything that stops them from being great, it is that group. So Dalvin Cook is right. You don't even have to do a deep dive the way he described to see how good that roster is and the potential. But the one possible issue for him and the other running backs he mentioned and for the offense will be who's blocking for them. I've got multiple pieces except for multiple pieces for depth issues or concerns up front. And the offensive line drop-off, Chad, in the NFL right now. It's huge. From, from starter to backup. You know, that running back, for instance, that's, that's why they're not getting paid the what they want to get paid because they feel like it's, uh, well, we'll just turn to the next guy. Uh, wide receiver after your top, you know, your top elite number one guys, by and large, you can find those guys in a, a, a heap. They're in a pile of the offseason, and they're not signed immediately after the first phase of free agency because many feel like you can find that guy wherever you want to look at any time of year. True or false, that's what, and that's how some of these guys uh, latch on right before the start of camp. But O-linemen, I mean, there is a huge drop-off in athleticism. Brought this up with Anthony Munoz. Uh, but especially at the tackle spot and what you're asked to do now, or the pulling guards in certain uh, run situations for what they want to do. It's not just downhill and a cloud of dust anymore, three yards. They want to try to get to the edge. And you got to have the athleticism at guard and center that, quite frankly, across the board, you don't have against the bigger defensive linemen that these guys aren't facing on a weekly basis in college. And the USFL is a great example. As far as development is concerned, if you're an athlete and you're a massive football player, you're playing on the defensive line, rushing the passer, not the other way around. And that the Jets' dilemma is a dilemma for the vast majority of every NFL franchise right now. It almost feels like the drop-off from starting quarterback in the league to backup quarterback. Yeah. And for years, it was the guard position that was almost interchangeable. Yeah. That was always a mid-to-late-round guy. And the throwaway thought was, ah, you can get an undrafted guy that can come in and be serviceable at guard. That's no longer the case. It is a position where you're giving up a lot of pass rush up the middle if your guard, if there's a drop-off from your starter to your backup, and there's a big drop-off for almost everyone. Where for a while, it was just these are road graders. These are guys that are there to just move bodies and do nothing else. But now we've seen teams where their season gets blown up because they allow too much pressure up the middle with some of these dynamic pass rushers. The Aaron Donald movement, the Jeffrey Simmons the guys who can wreck a game, Quentin Williams of the Jets, a team we're talking about, guys up the middle that can destroy the hopes of offenses. If you don't have good guard play to be able to slow that down, you're lost. And there is a big drop-off from starter to backup at that position in the league where for years there wasn't that much of a drop-off. Chad, while we're talking Jets, tell me about the prediction of the, the mentalist that was a part of Hard Knocks. Uh, this past week's episode, predicting the uh, the the selection of Mikael Hardeman and the Jets, who they would be facing the final score of the Super Bowl. Yeah, so he did, started out with this thing where he does uh, puzzle pieces, and then he like scrambles them, and then he just says, "Now close your eyes and put the hands down. Now separate them and separate the pieces. Now reach down and grab one. He grabs one, and it happens to be the piece to complete the puzzle that's on the board of a Jets logo." And then he's like, now think of who you're going to play in the Super Bowl. Okay, you got that team. Who is it? Now what's the score? And he's turning it around as he's saying, now what's the team and the score? And I think it's 31-21 
Jets over 49ers was the guess. It's unbelievable, by it's the way. Oz this Perlman, list. is that his name? Oz, yeah. Oz. Uh, and look what's happened. But you know what? I feel like and Robert Sala said O's. Yeah, I think it's O's. Yeah, when he, when he introduced I, I believe him, I was like, he was on O's? America's Got Talent with, uh, when Stern was hosting, I think. But look at what's happened over the last 24 hours with him. Uh, the Jets 49ers, the most bet Super Bowl matchup in sports books, And the Jets are the most bet team to win the Super Bowl uh, based on what people are, are placing on what this Wouldn't that be O's a story? Problem. How much is you like if you want the whole if you want to add flames to the whole NFL is fixed storyline? I mean, this scripted. is it. Yeah, that it's scripted and fixed, and they know what's going to happen. This would be the one where everyone could be up in arms and say, "This dude knew this, and so did me. So did Miko Hardman in the preseason on Hard Knocks." See, it would, it would take just one bet. Be like the sports almanac it would be from his bet Back to the Future. That I too. would follow if that's what he's doing. Yep, not Miko Hardman's. No, but it's still crazy. Coming up from the Jets to the Giants, we've got Leonard Marshall about to join us. One of the great defensive linemen hops on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow here on the Outkick Network. Coming up, Quentin Aaron, who portrayed Michael Orr in the film The Blind Side, will be with us. Plus, Mike Gunselman, the gun show in studio here on site. Right now, though, pleased to be joined by Leonard Marshall, New York Giants great, 12 years as an NFL defensive lineman, most notably with the G-Men, two-time Super Bowl champ. Great to have you on. Hope things are well. Hey fellas, I'm doing great. How you guys doing? Doing doing very well. As you as you survey the game today, Leonard, and you see the fines, the flags, uh, the rules set up for the offense. Do you think to yourself, man, uh, I'd love to play right now, or man, I'm I'm glad I was able to get after the quarterback and offensive lineman when I did. Well, I tell you, the game is a lot different now. You know, I I, I tell people, you know, when I look at it now compared to the years that we played. I mean, half the quarterbacks that that, that Lawrence Taylor and I uh, um, together combined for over 230 quarterback sacks in our career, um, half of those guys that were in the hospital would have cost us millions and millions of dollars that we've been playing uh, football in this era of football. I think the game has changed. I think the game has turned into the WWE of that sport. Uh, where it's very entertaining, um, high points, uh, lots of guys um, um, getting into the game. And uh, they've taken away from the old structure where it was defense, defense, defense. Now it's about scoring points and putting fans in seats and selling more product and getting all the social media you can for just doing your job. Would, would your hit on Joe Montana in the, the NFC Championship game in 91, would that be a big penalty and fine if it happened to a quarterback today? 
I think a lot of the plays that were made in the 80s would have been of such. I think that many of the plays that were made, uh, not only by guys on my team, guys on other teams uh, as well. I mean, I, I look at the play with Joe Theismann, where Joe breaks his leg in the game, you know, and, and I don't know if people, you know, uh, really truly know the story on that, but, but Joe's leg kind of collapsed it because he stepped in, in a hole and kind of stepped into a bucket and, you know, once he uh, tried to move his leg, his leg snapped. Uh, it wasn't so much the hit that Lawrence uh, made on Joe that, that broke his leg. It's just the way he stepped and, you know, on, on that field at RFK. But, um, you know, plays like that um, remain in your mind as a player because uh, you never want to see stuff like that in the game. And, uh, you know, the one thing I could tell you about the Montana play you know, I didn't go out to try to hurt Joe or injure Joe or put Joe in the hospital or cause any cancellation of his career. My thing was just trying to make a football play to help my team win a game. And uh, it just so happened that all those things happened in the course of that game. Yeah. And, and have you had any contact with Joe Montana since then? Joe since and I have that... seen each other a few times. And uh, I've seen a few of his teammates at a few card shows and uh, autograph signings around the country. And, uh, you know, I still respect the guy. I think he's the greatest player at quarterback position I ever played against. Um, and I played against them all. I mean, Marino, Kelly, Elway, uh, Boomer, Sison, I played against them all. I think that uh, even Troy Aikman, I think that uh, of all those guys, uh, there will never be another Joe Montana. I'm watching Hard Knocks with the New York Jets and Method Man, the rapper and actor, yes. is, is on there talking to the team. And Method Man quotes Bill Parcells. To the New York Jets. <laughs> That's right? funny. Your, your old coach, obviously known for a lot of teams around the league. But for me, he's the New York Giants coach during that great era of when you were playing. I think of yeah. a coach like that, Leonard, and I think, w would Bill Parcells work well in today's NFL? Or is that also a bygone era, the way he went about his business? Well, Parcells had a motto when you play defense for him. And his motto was, when hit popular, the body will bend or break. So he he wanted to inflict pain on guys and 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 have them think about um, the pain endured to play against his defense. I mean, uh, you know, people talk about the '85 Bears. They talk about how great that football team was and that defense was. You you go back and look at the 1986 New York Football Giants. My defense gave up three points in our run for a Super Bowl. We gave up three points the whole playoffs. That's including the NFC Championship game and the game uh, uh, prior to that. We beat the 49ers 49 to 3. We beat the Redskins 17 to nothing. We were the first team ever in the history of pro football to beat a rival, a one on one rival in its own conference three times in the same year and beating the Washington Redskins the way we did. So, you know, I, I arguably uh, disagree with folks that the Bears were better than us. I just think it was their time in 85 and it was our time in 86. Litter Marshall with us. How much trash talk went on between both of those defenses back-to-back -back years on who was better? <laughs> there was a little bit of trash talk, but not a lot because we we respected those guys the same way they respected us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, most of those players are great players and and pretty decent friends and guys I respect when I see them today. You know, Richard Dent's one of my dearest guys on the planet. And, and Mike Singletary... Uh, I have the utmost respect for, you know, Wilbur Marshall and, and, um, and, and, um, and big O, um, Otis, uh, uh, the outside linebacker, um, Otis Anderson, Otis Wilson, Otis Wilson. Yeah. 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 yeah those guys are, uh, 
you know, Danny Hampton, uh, uh, Jimbo Covert, all those guys are, are great guys and thank the world of them and, 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 and kudos to their success. Uh, but I just think that our defense, the 86 Giants was uh, something really, really special. I think our front seven was something really special. Leonard Marshall, our guest, uh, Giants great. You can follow him on social at Leonard Marsh 70. Uh, you're a great person to give perspective with this, Leonard. So uh, I don't know if you saw the headline or not, but the the offensive players uh, in Washington with the commanders, they they seem a bit upset with how intense, quote-unquote, Eric Bieniemy has been since he arrived as the coordinator. And I'm thinking, man, uh, you're from an era where Parcells, to start practice, would have one-on-ones, and you just knock the complete piss out of someone as hard as you could for 30 straight minutes and then practice started. Like it, it, is, it is a totally different mentality with the player today. Absolutely. Well, kudos to my boy, Eric Bienname. That's my frat brother. Okay. You know, he's <laughs> with Mega Side Fire Fraternity Incorporated. So got to give you a big shout out on that. Rude dog. Um, you know, I, I, you know, the old school football needs to come back. I mean, it used to be, uh, it used to be that, you know, offense wins games and defenses win championships. And uh, that needs to return. That 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 needs to return to the game. I think, uh, in order for teams to really, you know, become great again, you know, dominant and great again. And um, I've seen signs of it by teams. I've seen signs of weakness by teams. I, you know, I thought the Rams, you know, three years ago would be tough to be beaten for a couple of years. Now I see it uh, a complete team effort in that Kansas City Chiefs team on both sides of the football, and I love it. Because they, that means they compete hard and practice, and uh, and they they play well on Sunday. Well, and I know you agree with this too. We're not going to see that era again, based on you know the brain injuries, uh, research that's being done, lawsuits that are going on, or or, or that they're afraid that could happen. Uh, and you know that firsthand, based on CTE and diagnosis and and other things. Sure. How, how are you feeling in that regard? And where where are you in terms of you know, coming to grips with the fact that you're having to live with it currently? Well, one of the things I've been doing, guys, you know, outside of football now that, uh, you know, I'm on the other side, I've been spending a lot of time with, uh, with dealing with uh, the, 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 the mental aspect of understanding uh, how to live with CTE and understand uh, how to live with early stage Parkinson's. Um, you know, I've done well with it. Um, kudos to my wife. She's done a great job taking care of me. Uh, I've lost about 53, 55 pounds uh, over the last few years. Uh, I'm on a pretty good diet right now. Back to a real exercise routine. You know, I just dropped my pants size by by four inches. Actually, I dropped my pants size by eight inches. I'm wrong on that. Uh, dropped my jacket size by six inches. So um, I'm sleeping better. Um, taking the supplements, doing the right thing, and just trying to stay uh, as holistic as I can um, uh, through the process. You know, turning 62 is, has become fun um, because I can do some of the things I used to do when I was a bit younger. Uh, I've got a grandson now. Um, Great. My son's an attorney here practicing law in New York, so I get a thrill out of that seeing him and his wife and, and our grandson. And, uh, you know, weekends at the Marshall House are fun again. They didn't used to be fun, but now they're fun again. Then I hope you don't mind me going down this path because I, 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 I'm, sure. I mean this genuinely. But, um, you know, I've got a buddy of mine who played in the league. 
I uh, haven't talked to him in a while. He left town. But uh, the headaches, okay. the headaches, the cobwebs, uh, the, you mentioned yeah. the mental aspect, the, yeah. the, the thoughts of just giving up and, and having friends of his who have done that over the years um, and have left notes. Um, are you scared of that? Are you, are you concerned that you could also be faced with that? Have you talked about that? How do you confront it? Dude, that's my greatest fear. That's why I do everything I can to fight the urge and fight uh, some of those demons. I mean, you know, I lost a bunch of friends to it. You know, I lost a very dear friend, a fraternity brother, and, and, and Dave Durison to the problem. Um, we've lost, you know, Andre Waters, Junior Seau, Reggie Roby, uh, David Little. I mean, I could just sit, sit here and rattle off names of guys. You know, uh, my good buddy down in Dallas, Texas, Tony Dorsett, uh, is dealing with some of the same issues. Uh, you know, all I can say is, is pray for these men. You know, what we did as players made us heroes. What we need now uh, in terms of prayer and uh, and and real acknowledgement of, of, of what we're going through makes us human. Uh, most people think that we're not. Uh, they don't understand how a guy can run so fast, be so big and strong and, and quick and do some of the things that we've done over the course of the years of our lives. And, you know, we were blessed with a talent and we took that talent and we entertained the world with it. And uh, we hope that the league continues to care for those that help build the game of football. Uh, guys who, who made it fun, not only in your era of football, when you watch but for these kids to come forward now, I mean, football is becoming fun to watch again. You know, points are scored, players are active. I can't wait to watch Jalen Hyatt in a Giants uniform. We've never had a receiver as a Giant to score five touchdowns in a game against Alabama uh, the way this guy did last year. And now he's, he's, a, he's a New York Giant. So I'm dying to watch a kid like that play the game of football. So, you know, it's exciting again to watch. And um, uh, it's unfortunate the defenses have to pay for it, but guess what? You know, it's the game, it's the business, and, um, you know, fans love it. Very love well it. very well said. We had a chance to interview Jalen Hyatt a couple times, including at the Super Bowls. He's getting ready for the draft. He's surprised he fell to where he did, but the Giants do pick him up. Exciting times right now for the Giants. Clearly, you're a guy still following that franchise, Leonard. What do you think about the prospects for this team with Daniel Jones, Jalen Hyatt, Saquon Barkley back in the mix now? Well, you talk to me next week. I'm going to practice on Tuesday with my business partner from Rockefeller Global Management, uh, Mr. Ed Mald Maldaver and, uh, and Mr. James Lee. Um, I'm dying to, 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 to watch them work, um, to see the progression of from last year to this year, uh, to watch our defensive front play a little bit. And, uh, and just see how they're moving and everything else. But uh, uh, it's going to be exciting to watch our team this year. We got, we got three receivers on that side of the ball that they could, uh, could light it up. You know, it's going to be – I'm going to see if Daniel really, you know, is willing and earning – uh, um, um, willing to earn that money, to earn that money. We paid him this offseason because, uh, you know, he's getting paid, you know, to, he, to whom much is given, much is expected, guys. Uh, that's the game of football. You know, um, we had a receiver last year that couldn't catch a cold and uh, <laughs> we kind of got rid of him, you know. So we got some guys now that can catch the ball. So there's no excuses. You know, your, your best either has to come out or be gone, one or the other. Hey, man, I think the underrated addition of the offseason no one talks about is Waller. Um, yes. You know what I mean? Like yes. that, that could be 
That that's the little addition that puts them over the top. I think Leonard. Uh, Friend of mine told me he catches everything in practice, guy. Everything. That's what you're looking for. Hey, yep. uh, great to catch up with you, man. Hopefully, we can do Thank this down man. the road. Really appreciate the visit and uh, and the perspective. Thank you very much, fellas. Have a great rest of the week. Yeah, hey, same to you. Thank you. This there. has been great. Okay. Larry Marshall, two-time Super Bowl champion. Uh, the stories that guy could tell in the book. Omega Sci Fi fraternity member, also. Yeah. As we found uh, out there. I believe, uh, was McNair there too? Yep. Q Dogs. Mac 9. They go by. Mac 9. Right? That's what Steve McNair would always say. Chad, uh, Quentin Aaron uh, about to join us. He portrayed Michael Orr in the film The Blind Side. And he'll have tons of perspective on his portrayal of the player, but also uh, Sandra Bullock and the Oscar. The Oscar that should not be handed over. She finds herself in um, <laughs> a bit of uh, controversy. I always want to say con- not really, controversy though. the way that Contro- British people say it. <laughs> I want to I want to change to say it that way, but we it should, sounds so weird. We should weird call it that me. when there's not really controversy. It's just kind of a you, you got to be British. Stirring like, the, when the British person says controversy, I'm I'm always jealous. They get to like say it that a, way. A Dory Jackson, we called him Adderay. Adderay. If he played if yeah. he wasn't good on that Sunday. When it's not a real controversy, the yeah. fake controversy is controversy. <laughs> Sandra Bullock's controversy next. Yeah, with Quentin, Quentin Aaron Hunt. will join us coming up on Hot Night with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton with Row Rolls on. Across the Outkick Network. Congratulations to Chad. Can we on the truck? Oh, thank you. I'm a truck guy. I'm um, a pickup man, as they say in the Something country women. song. Something women like about a pickup man. <laughs> um, yeah, it gets me all choked up thinking about it. 41 years on this earth. You've always never, wanted this. Never you, saw Chad myself. Talked about this. Never saw myself as a years. truck guy, but I always knew that oh, maybe I could get there one day. And it took that long, and I decided, you know what? It's time. I am now a a Ford F-150 owner. Truck guy over here. Chad, in terms of sports movies, if you start rattling off, friends of ours, we're at a bar, just like, hey, let's discuss, name top top sports movies. The Blind Side's on the list. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think when you go through critically acclaimed sports movies, especially, it's right up there. How many of them have Oscars attached to it? Right. Oh, exactly. Not not many. I think Sylvester Stallone won an Oscar for screenplay, for best original screenplay for the original Rocky. But yeah, I mean, it's few and far between to find that. Our next guest, Quentin Aaron, portrayed Michael Orr in The Blind Side, and he he joins us now. Quentin, thank you for the time, man. Uh, we really appreciate it, and uh, hope things are well. Thank you. Thank you. How's everything? Uh, f- doing very well here. Uh, we. Were you surprised as we were on Monday when, when everything came out with this story between uh, Orr and the allegations against the Tuies and what he filed in court? 
Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting that. Like when I saw the article pop up, at first I didn't read it. I saw a blind side and I said, oh, okay, it's almost football season. I guess they're putting something else out about the movie. And then people started sending it to me. And so I'm reading it. And I'm like, wait, what's, the, what's going on? What? You know, and it's just shocked. Like, I'm like, wow. But um, man, it's uh, I wasn't expecting that. How much research for, for you went into this when, when you got ready for the role and took it? There's a lot of confusion out there we'll get to with people about <laughs> the role of an actor versus, you know, reality. But when you accepted this role to portray Michael Orr, what all went into that decision and in, in getting ready to be a part of this film? Man, it was uh, honestly on my part, it was a lot of uh, physical training was the, the biggest thing for me. Uh, I had to lose 100 pounds to portray the character. And um, we did that over like 11 weeks. So it was like brutal training physically to get in shape to look like a football player, look like an athlete. <laughs> um, aside from that, the acting part, the, the, the only challenge was trying not to be nervous around Sandra. You know, I mean, that's Sandra Bullock. I mean... Come on, Demolition Man, Speed, uh, The yeah. Net, <laughs> and Miss Congeniality. I'm like, um, I was so nervous working with her, but she made it cool. She made it comfortable. And at the end of the day, we all became like a tight-knit family throughout the process. So it was it was definitely a blessing to work on. And it couldn't have come at a better time in my life personally, having just lost my mom a few months prior to getting the part, you know? How old were you at the time? And how did you land the role? I was 24. My mom got me the audition. Uh, when we started filming, I was 24. Um, I first auditioned when I was 23, actually. And, well, 22. Actually, I was 22. We auditioned in 2007. Um, November, no, October was the first time. But it was during the around the time of the other writer strike that was going on and uh it was just a lot of stuff it was with a different studio and then it got put on hold and when it finally came back around so much had happened my mom passed away uh, i was about to get evicted then i got a phone call that changed everything quentin one of the complaints from from the real michael Orr and all this was that he had to fight a perception that he was dumb because of how he was portrayed in the movie when, when I watched the movie, I never thought, man, Michael Orr was dumb. I thought this is a guy who didn't have a lot of opportunities growing up and had a really rough go of it. Um, did you try to portray him as dumb in the movie? What was the no. thought process with the character when you went into it? No, it wasn't It wasn't so much portraying him as dumb. Um, the director wanted to do certain things, and all I had to go on was the script. I'd never met Michael before because at the time we were – working on the project he was doing combine to get into the league so he had no time to give to the production at all he wasn't around um all i had to go off was the script and the direction from the director so i i think at the at the the core of what we were doing was we wanted him to come off as someone who he did have a rough go at it, but he was humble. He was a, a gentle giant and not someone who you should fear or be afraid of unless you came at his family. 
And that was the kind of personality. But, you know, when you're dealing with a kid who grew up in a foster system who wasn't in school, you know, he just he basically he didn't have much schooling uh, as a court to the story that I had. Um, so there were certain things you wouldn't expect him to know, you know, uh, but as far as the stuff where they were playing around with the football, that was, you know, kind of like Hollywood blemishes. Uh, he never needed to be taught how to play the game. And that was something that aggravated him about the way they went with the story. But, you know, I mean, he ended up looking like a rock star after all. So um, sometimes people try things out and take certain liberties with the project. But <clears throat> I think in the movie sense, it, it wound up working out overall. I mean, it's the highest grossing sports film of all time, you know, uh, aside from Cars, the Pixar movie. But, yeah. Quentin Aaron, our guest, uh, actor and musician here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Uh, how... How prevalent were the Tuies during the filming of this, and what was your perception of them if they were there? They came. They came to set a couple of times. I, I met Collins first. We were. I was passing her in the lunchroom, and uh, we hung it out and spoke for a little bit. Then I went upstairs, met her mom, Leanne, um, and I met Sean one other time. But then I don't remember if I met SJ until later on. I think it was like the the premiere or one of the screens or something where I saw SJ for the first time. But uh, yeah, they were all cool. They were all like very warm, welcoming. And I remember Leanne telling me that I looked just like Michael at the time. And I was like, wow, that's, that's cool. Cause I hadn't seen a picture. I didn't know what he looked like. Oh really? I didn't. Yeah. I, I think I, the first time I saw what Michael looked like was when we saw the movie for the first time. And at the end they had the pictures of the real yeah. family. Stuff. And that was the first time I saw what Michael looked like. Was that intentional on your part for the role to not want to see what he looked like going into it? Uh, no, I, I, I just, I think I didn't think about it. I, I know that he wasn't in, around. Um, as a matter of fact, I remember the director telling me he wanted me to be myself in the role. He was like, you know, bring your personality, bring your lightheartedness to it. Because, you know, Michael today is not Michael that he was at the time that you'd be portraying him, you know? And so he didn't want me to meet a more hip, successful, you know, upbeat Michael and then try and portray that character. So in light of what I was going through at the time and the emotions that I was carrying, he told me, be yourself. You know, you are who the audience is going to see. Quentin Aaron, our guest here on OutKick. Uh, your reaction, uh, we were reading your uh, quotes earlier this week. Your reaction when you, when you heard that there was uh, someone or a petition going around about Sandra Bullock giving back the Oscar based on this story that uh, took place earlier this week. Yeah, that, that um, I, I was saying to someone, I said, I feel like those are the, the you know, the little basement uh, troll, you know, keyboard trolls that want to throw salt and, uh, you know, salt in the sea or, or gas on the flames or something like that. <laughs> you know, they just want to start something. I'm like, imagine like you had a peaceful protest and you get a looter just like, I'm, I'm going to throw this brick through the window and 
and I'm gonna start some, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's what that is. One, her performance in the movie has nothing to do with what's going on today in the stories that came out today. You know, and the, the reason why I feel so strongly about that is because not only did she do a great job and she deserves that, like, what if I was nominated? What if I won? You're going to ask to take mine back too? I, I got to tell you, I'm not giving up mine without a fight. So I, I wouldn't expect her to give up hers without a fight. And rightfully so, because there's nothing that permits people to take back her award because her award was based on her performance. It wasn't based on whether the movie was true or false. You know, she got nominated. She won a Best Actress Award, not Best True Story Award. Right. Yeah, so and that's just the way I feel. She did her job. I could could be wrong, but it's my opinion. She did her job and did it uh, better than anyone on the planet. Yeah. For the voting of that award. Too good of a job, I guess, for certain people. (laughs) uh, She did so well portraying her. Um, Who was the best... Coach at portraying himself in the movie, Nick Saban, <laughs> Philip Fulmer, of the guys you were around. Who, when you watched me, you thought, "Man, that guy did the best job being himself on camera." Man, you know what's funny? All of the coaches kind of brought something cool to the table. Um, you know, because mostly you see them on the sideline, you know, in the games and everything. But getting a sense of who they are and how they talk off camera to us as opposed to when the camera came on, it was the same thing with a lot of them. You know, it was it was kind of like you didn't really see a difference. It was like action, which is cool because they were hired to be themselves. Yeah. So you didn't want to see, you know, hi, I'm Phil Fulmer, and then action, hi, I'm Phil Fulmer. You didn't yeah. want to see that. You know what I mean? So you wanted to, so they were kind of, they brought the same energy, which was cool. And uh, it worked out. And, you know, my I think uh, Nick Saban was, uh, he was my, my favorite coach at the time because he was the only one that gave me a gift. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. What did he give you? Uh, he gave me an um, a Alabama jumpsuit. <laughs> did yeah. you? And uh, did you wear it? I did. I did. I actually wore it one day on set. Uh, I have a picture somewhere. I can't remember. It's my archives. There's a picture of me like I'm doing an arm curl like this. Yeah. And then SJ, I mean, Jay from the movie is hanging upside down on my arm and he's like with his legs locked around my arm up here and his body hanging upside down. Uh, I have that picture somewhere, but I'm wearing the Alabama jumpsuit during that, in that picture. Quentin Aaron, our guest, you mentioned the energy from them and they brought it to the set. Uh, your, your energy now is in your music and uh, tell us about the debut single uh, lead with love, which is available. Yes. Yes. Uh, so lead with love is a song that represents a motto of mine. Um, I believe in leading my life with love. I, I do a lot of things out of love. Um, my mom told me a long time ago, always present yourself how you want to be perceived. She said, because you're a big person, you stand out. People will see you. People are going to watch you. If you want them to be afraid of you, you know, then be a, a more aggressive version of yourself so that they know to stay the hell away from you. But, uh, <laughs> I was like, I don't, that's not the vibes I want to put out. So I just kind of always be me, you know, hopefully it rubs off to people and they, they get on board and do more things out of love and stop making hate viral, make love viral. 
We're with you, man. You can follow Quentin on social at Quentin Aaron. Uh, thank you for uh, the visit and the perspective here, uh, the, the firsthand perspective of portraying Michael Orr and, you know, firsthand perspective that is obvious. Uh, Sandra Bullock needs to keep that Oscar uh, <laughs> for doing exactly. her job and doing it very well, as you did as well, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Appreciate it. There's uh, Quentin Aaron. Great dude. Really and, good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just... It's good I would, to get that. I, side I would be intimidated whole, too around Sandra Bullock. Good to get that whole side of the story. Also, also he went through Sandra Bullock's movies. Went through some good, the proposal. I'd like to throw oh. that out there as another great Sandra Bullock entry into the canon of Sandra Bullock. Fulmer also told us one time he was intimidated by Sandra Bullock on set. He said I, he was nervous. I've heard that she's very nice to everyone on set too. Sounds like from it. people there. Headlines next, including fights in the NFL, and apparently they continue. <laughs> 